This is John Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance uh, podcast. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. Uh, it's podcast number 54. Um, amazing, we are already at 54. Uh, with me in Sweden, Johan Edebo. Hello, Johan. Good evening. Corey Morningstar uh, from Toronto. Hello, Corey. Hey, hi. Uh, Hiroyuki Hamada, Long Island, New York. Hi, Hiroyuki. Hi, John. Uh, Varun Mather in New Delhi. Hello, Varun. Good evening. And uh, joining us tonight, John Bauer in Los Angeles. John's an old friend of mine, friend of my son's. Um, and it's really great to have him. Hi, John. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Um, so uh, there's a lot of things to cover and, and stuff to talk about, but I wanted to begin, I think, with, with, um, with, with John, um, who owns uh, a couple of sort of bar restaurants in Los Angeles, but I'll let him tell you about um, his experiences of the last two years, because it's certainly relevant and a topic we have heard a lot. And um, the sort of the madness of the of the COVID protocols and so forth. So, John, you want to just, just narrow in? <laughs> yeah. Okay, sure. Um, so, yeah, like John said, I own a couple of bar restaurants here in Los Angeles, and um, we've been, uh, you, I don't know how else to say it, sort of victims of arbitrary COVID legislation for the last eighteen months um, in various forms, um, ever changing forms, and uh, and we've done our best to navigate uh, the decrees that keep rolling out of Sacramento and LA City Hall. Um, and, you know, it's it's been an interesting shift for the last 18 months. Um, when we first got the now infamous two weeks to slow the spread order and we were first forced to close in March of 2020, you know, we were all taking it very seriously and we thought we were doing our part to to really help, um, and I mean that sincerely. Um, and you know, they had me convinced for you know about a month and a half that that's that what we were doing is fundamentally important. Um, as it became more and more obvious that what had happened with the with, with the lockdown being completely ineffective and pointless and useless and harmful, um, there's been an evolution, right? Um, in the way, not only that I've thought about it, but also slowly in the way that my staff has thought about it. Um, and to see that psychological evolution is very interesting. And to see people's uh, personal politics sort of be exploded is also very interesting. Um, because, you know, one side of this debate, if you believe that there are two sides to this debate, one side of this debate is quote unquote pro-science. And my staff are you know, tend to be on the liberal liberal side of things. And they thought they were doing the right thing for a very long time. Um, they thought that the masks were saving them. They thought that, you know, them getting laid off was was beneficial to them um, or beneficial to society. And they were willing to do that. As things have started, it's been remarkable. In the last few months, things have really started to change. And what did it was the um, the vaccine. So when the vaccine became available and all my staff got vaccinated, we were allowed to reopen at relatively normal capacity. At that time, everybody got sick. COVID came through 
everyone tested positive, everyone, and everyone was fine. But there was this, of course they weren't, but because they're young and healthy. But there was this suddenly a fundamental disconnect between what they were being told, mm. right, about the, the efficacy of the vaccine and their lived experience. And they couldn't reconcile it, because how can you reconcile it? We were told that it was 95% effective at, at blocking transmission. That's why I got it. I regret getting it. Um, but I was told, you know, it was sold to me as an effective tool and also a way for I, where I could, you know, have my livelihood again, right? Um, so the last month and a half has, has been kind of uh, interestingly inspiring to see my staff uh, become kind of embittered and, uh, and angry, for lack of a better word. So now, uh, as of two weeks ago, we have to start uh, checking vaccine status at the door. That came down on a Friday night. We saw an immediate 40% drop in sales oh. over that weekend. We were turning away hundreds of people from the door um, because they didn't have their papers. Uh, and my staff knows, you know, I mean, there's, if that keeps going, they're losing, I mean, they're losing shifts, the business is in jeopardy, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there has been a bit of a turning point. Um, I can talk retroactively about sort of the psychology of the last 18 months, how that's changed. But I think what's most interesting now is, again, how uh, what was sold is clearly not what happened, right? We were sold on something that's not, that does not work and did not work. And um, the number of my staff members who were eager to get the shot the first time, who's, who have told me personally, they have zero interest in ever getting a booster shot and will not do it. That's a, that has been a very quick change and um, inspiring actually, so. Yeah, that's, that's remarkable. And I, 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 you know, I remember talking to you, um, I think about the time uh, we started exchanging emails about the time that um, you started to have serious doubts about, about the whole thing. And, and, and we had some, some great exchanges, but, but maybe also relate because you did to me, um, some of the protocols, the irrationality of, 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 of the protocols involved in, you know, ordering drinks or sitting and eating, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, where do you start? The absurdity, just no, there's no end to it, right? So I think that the, so from the, the highest elevation, so to speak, that what, we, what Los Angeles tried to do was looked at New Zealand and Australia, and we're like, we're going to do that. But because local government and state government and federal government is entirely useless, they can't do it. So we have all they can do really is force businesses to close. And that's kind of the, the beginning and the end of it. Um, and they can make us jump through a, a series of arbitrary hoops. I mean, I don't even know where to begin with the number, number <laughs> of arbitrary steps. It, it, you know, okay. So we have one of my bars is busy and has been busy and there's, um, since COVID, a lot of our competitors have closed, unfortunately. So we've gotten busier because we're absorbing some of that business. Um, and we'll have a line down the block. Everyone, in, to get into the bar, you need to put a mask over your face. As soon as you're inside, you take the mask off. It's, um, it's just, it's simply absurd, right? The craziest part is customers believe this is, some of them believe this is helping them still. 
you'll hear people all over here conversations about how they went to a they went to a fast food place and somebody in the back they could see wasn't wearing a mask and they don't now they don't want to go to that fast food place again and i'll look around the room that they're in in a room with 150 people without masks on and they're 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 serious they're sincere they sincerely believe that what they're doing is safe but that the fast food guy working in the back without the mask on is fundamentally unsafe there's this mystical quality uh, to the mask uh, that people still take very, very seriously. Um, it's kind of alarming. Uh, what other, oh, so there are a couple other just key peak absurdity. We were allowed to do outdoor dining for a certain amount of time and we had um, four or five tables on the sidewalk. We got busted by the health department because we did not, didn't have plastic dividers between the tables on the sidewalk and the uh, the rest of the sidewalk. I mean, just complete <laughs> magical thinking, right? Um, and the worst—it's—it's—it's it's, it's absurd. And the 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 worst part is the inspector, the health inspectors. You can tell don't really give a shit. Like they don't necessarily believe it themselves. They're just doing their job, right? Um, so you're having these kind of absurd conversations where you're both kind of admitting that it's completely pointless and irrational, yet you still have to do it or else you're going to eat fines or they'll close you down. Um, and yeah, the plastic dividers on the sidewalk is sort of epitomizes the last 18 months of operating a restaurant in Los Angeles. Yeah, I, I've noticed, um, <clears throat> and you said something else earlier before we started recording, and it's something I've noticed here as well. Um, because, because, you know, Norway has no more restrictions of any sort, although they're starting to maybe reintroduce certain things that the, the mayor of Trondheim uh, said that people will have to start wearing masks in Trondheim in crowded areas that, you know, without a definition of what crowded means, but, um, and for, for no apparent reason, but, but the thing that, that I think is, is interesting is, um, is that that uh, that people can kind of compartmentalize all of this stuff and these these um, these contradictions and and yet believe it? And I had an argument with a guy on on Twitter the other day that I mean I try not to engage, but I but I did because he was defending San Francisco and and the sort of extreme um, lockdowns that have occurred there and now the extreme coercion to be vaccinated. Um, and, uh, and, and he absolutely believed everything that was of the master narrative he, he believed and, and he could cite, you know, USA Today and Time Magazine or whatever to, to defend this. Um, but, but yeah, but okay, Johan, you have a question, so. Yeah, yeah, sure. And if, but if you only use headlines for, for, and if that's your main source of information, I don't think you really need this this uh, super deep compartmentalization because the, the contradictions emerge only when you dig a little bit. I, I was just meaning to ask you, John, uh, <clears throat> so there, there was quite recently they, they mandated this, uh, this vaccination checks uh, at your, your venues. Uh, I also read that... Uh, was it San Francisco that's implicitly going to mandate vaccine passports for children below the age of 12 or something like that? Have, have you seen anything like this at other, other places in California or is that just San Francisco? As of now, it's just San Francisco. But if it happens there, it's going to happen here. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. it, it's only a matter of time. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, so, you know, this is, this is interesting because, um, you know, one is seeing the, the kind of the institutionalization of and normalizing of all these, these protocols and rituals. And, and it's remarkable how quickly this stuff uh, was, was absorbed into the, the cultural fabric of, of Western society. Um, <clears throat> you know, mask wearing is never going to go away at least not for years and years and years, depending what happens, uh, because because people have willingly, um, uh, you know, accepted uh, the idea that 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 somehow this is a this is a socially responsible thing to do, regardless of any <clears throat> medical rationale at all. Um, <clears throat> okay, well, um, we I want to come back to all of this too, and and talk more um but but uh corey hiroyuki anybody want to jump in with anything here go ahead hiroyuki oh i i don't know i'm just i'm just sort of jaded and also uh i'm angry and um uh but um i i do understand that the uh, the vaccine is really um affecting and it's the main focus of uh, uh, what we experience. But uh, I think uh, it might be helpful to uh, see the uh, larger framework of uh, uh, what's going on. Like, you know, um, um, the, what's going on is really not about regulations. It's not coming from the um, uh, regular institution that sets the um, uh, laws and uh, uh, impose those things. It, those are decrees and the decrees are coming from the corporations. So, you know, this is a, a major shift um, in the, uh, the social framework. And uh, it, it seems like now we have an institution of COVID. And um, <laughs> well, that's, that's, um, uh, that's tremendous. That's uh, uh, pretty amazing that uh, it has sets of uh, values and norms and beliefs associated and uh, it can enforce whatever um, that's necessary to uh, perpetuate the institution. And, um, and this is so ridiculous and um, uh, people kind of know, but people kind of go along with it. So this is the power of the uh, um, ruling class. Well, <clears throat> Johan and I, I remember, talked about the fact that this was the first sort of state propaganda campaign um, that that included social media and electronic platforms, internet um, um, dissemination of, of stuff. Um, so it was a massively effective and, and saturating mm. campaign of propaganda. Uh, I think unprecedented, actually, and uh, the the vaccines. We've talked about about this before, and I'm going to I'm going to include in the links of this podcast that interview with um, uh, Gurushan Singh, the the Sikh activist, um, uh, because because his observations are are um, are are really good, I think, and 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 he says a lot of things that out loud that people have have thought about quietly 
Um, because with the vaccines now, um, and, and, you know, I got a, I got a text message the other day from the local commune letting me know when I could come and get a vac vaccination. You know, <clears throat> I had never said I wanted one. I'd never said I didn't want one. It's just, they were just like mass mailing via your cell phone. Um, and I just ignored it and deleted it, but it's, it's, you know, the, that campaign has not stopped. Never mind that 90% of the population in, in most countries, certainly in Norway, are vaccinated. Um, and we're seeing, um, you know, uh, it seems like young athletes are dropping dead uh, daily from the, the vaccinations, though media seems not to cover those stories very much. Um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, so I, th I think that, that the 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 propaganda has been, and, and we've said this before, amazingly uh, effective and, and people have uh, internalized it and, and accepted the protocols and accepted the various rituals. And uh, there's of course, enormous skepticism uh, in places and we're seeing protests globally. I mean, massive, the media simply doesn't cover it. So again, the question is always how many people are skeptical and how many are not. And, and I have no answer for that, but I think the majority of people globally um, are, are highly skeptical and, and certainly don't want it. And uh, the second question, and I leave this to everybody to <clears throat> comment on, and, and we've talked about it before, is why the, the digital ID is linked to vaccination. I mean, you could just assign people a digital ID um, and probably not meet with all that much resistance. It's just another tool of surveillance and control, and, and there have been others before it, and it wouldn't be unexpected or surprising so why is it linked to vaccination i mean why why this urgent you know uh coercive campaign to vaccinize everybody especially now even children i mean the ads um targeting children and parents of children um <clears throat> are are really appalling to watch but but they seem to be increasing. And I have no answer for that. I really don't know why that is happening in that way. Um, yeah, Johan. Just off the top of my head, I mean, uh, <clears throat> a way to, to actively integrate health and biometric data with some, some kind of, of digital ID like this, would the easiest way would be to integrate it with some kind of uh, medical treatment in this sense. If you just roll out a digital ID and enforce that, the uptake of that it probably would be a major step to to integrate all these other data you'd like to have with it but uh, i mean these uh, these nice uh, devious ads with the heroic children now uh, being subjected to, to the vaccinations so I, I thought maybe maybe you and, and Corey maybe would like to to pick that one apart because i thought it was uh, it was significant in some sense because I haven't seen anything like this directed to, towards children before in this uh, in this propaganda process. Um, yeah, Corey, do you want to talk on this at all? Yeah, sorry, um, I'm all over the map here. What did you say, Johan, about <laughs> about the? Um, no, you no, want the... To specific feedback on children 
Well, the, the, the marketing of the vaccine, we, we just saw these devious clips uh, marketing the, the vaccination campaigns specifically to children in, yeah. in a way. And, and I, I haven't seen anything like this before. And I suppose it's natural to, to, that it coincides with um, the 5 to 11-year-old vaccine rollout, of course. Yeah, but. I mean, I, I don't think we'll know for a while exactly what it is about the vaccines. I mean, there's obviously, and we talk over and over about this, an element that we're missing, but it's definitely, I, I would say by now, now, um, almost certainly something to do with um, the merging of the body with the fourth industrial revolution infrastructure. Yeah. You know, as crazy as that sounds, there's an article, um, what's it called? It's in the spectrum. Um, it's called IEEE spectrum for the techn um, technology insider. And it's called turning the body into a wire. Um, when the human body is the communications channel, it's hard to hack the data. And so that's from November, 2020. Um, that's a good starting point. And I, um, I'm still digging into that. And I found another article that talks about CRISPR being a tool with this um, type of idea, turning the body into a wire, right? That um, is, you know, connected to this grid. And, mm. and CRISPR is a big part of that. Now, mRNA, which, uh, obviously is being experimented on in the human body that is called now time had an article a couple of months ago and actually Moderna's um, not, you know, even though they've made billions of dollars on this vaccine, actually what they're after is the CRISPR technology and that's where they're moving um, toward. And that's where the money is being invested into the CRISPR, which is gene editing. And within that article in Time Magazine, and again, everybody um, who listens probably knows that Benioff um, bought Time a couple of years ago. And Benioff is the CEO of Salesforce. He's a World Economic Forum um, board, um, trustee, and he's the trustee of the Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution in San Francisco. So again, tech, you know, um, the whole idea of this huge digital, digital infrastructure, global in infrastructure, to which every single person has to basically have this um, digital umbilical cord to the smart city. So I think it's something to do with that. And I'm sort of getting lost in my head what I was talking about. Um, <laughs> basically, the CRISPR, the mRNA, they call it the workhorse for CRISPR. Okay, so it's very, very important. And, and again, we're, we're now getting, um, you know, massive volumes of data and we're watching what happens, right? Like not, not just us, but more, um, you know, the scientists, they're, they're watching what happens. And I mean, in a normal situation with any vaccine, it would have been, it would have stopped, I mean, months and months ago. When you see this level of people, you know, um, dying, being harmed or dying of strokes and heart attacks and like the youngest, most, you know, healthy people, athletes, you know, these are men in their, in their prime, you know, and they're athletes on top of it. And they're, you know, when you see them dropping dead, like flies um, from heart attacks, cardiac arrest, strokes, um, being harmed, physically harmed, and it's not stopping, right? No, there's no pause. There's no nothing. It's, um, you know, quite frightening. It's, you know, we're going ahead with this no matter what. That's the message. And not only are we going ahead with it no matter what, now we're going to test it on children. And that is just the most depraved thing I, I could ever have imagined in my lifetime. Um, but, you know, these same people have no problem dropping bombs 
on, um, you know, Libya, Syria, um, you know, wherever they um, deem target, um, they have no problem dropping the bombs on women and children. So again, um, we're quite deluded ourselves to think that they would care about our kids, right? This is a class war. Um, Johan, yeah, and, and I would second that. But Johan, yeah. yeah and, and perhaps you should see the, the athletes as, as some kind of canary in the coal mine, because if you have a, a group of population with some underlying, uh, say, say you have scarring of heart tissue or something like that, then the people who, who partake in strenuous exercise, they will uh, be the first probably to, to experience some kind of complications. I was also interested in asking you, John Bauer, uh, how how do you f- feel that your your staff is is processing this uh, this realignment of their worldview, so to speak? What's their experiences? How how do they feel? How do they pr- process this? Uh, complete disillusionment, you know, uh, and pretty r- rapidly. So, to the staff members I talked to. Uh, they and again it's because they all got sick you know they got the vaccine and then they got they got covid and they were all fine um but they were told and we were all told that wasn't going to happen and it happened so quickly after the vaccine rollout and the the it's completely unfathomable it's you cannot believe the 95 percent accuracy efficacy number even week one i don't care what they're saying about it uh you know going down over time Th- this was immediate so as soon as we could Right after they got the shot, everyone got sick within the first two weeks um, when we could reopen. So, uh, and they saw that all, they saw that happen, and they also saw that they were fine, and their kids were fine. Those of them that have children, uh, their parents were fine. Um, so it's hard to it. It's confusing, I think, to them to see to to feel as though they've been told something and. Politically, they should believe something as a member of the progressive left that they believe in the science, and then seeing the complete disconnect between the between what the science, quote unquote, is and their lived experience. Um, it's been kind of inspiring to watch, honestly. And I don't know what the, I don't know what comes of it over the next, you know, year as these programs keep getting rolled out. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these, some of my staff members have young kids and. I can't imagine many of them have much interest in getting them the shot. Um, although it's a requirement now in the state of California uh, to go to school. So I don't know what's in front of it, but just one thing briefly, John, you mentioned vaccine rates. Uh, I don't believe that those are even close to accurate being reported, at least not in Southern California. My experience, you know, we're told that these cities, LA, Long Beach, et cetera, have 80 some odd percent vaccine rates we were turned away hundreds of people yeah that's interesting yeah i don't know the numbers see i think those those rates are probably accurate for norway um but but it's likely not you're probably absolutely right and and that reinforces the idea that um people are are generally more skeptical than than media wants you to believe uh uh the 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 vaccine thing was was pushed quite hard here for a while and they have they have stopped and there's never been any uh suggestion that children should be vaccinated here which is merciful because i'm not sure what i'd 
do uh, if my kids couldn't go to school because they're certainly not going to be vaccinated. But uh, this this kind of leads into um, the uh, also the topic of that this climate conference that that happened recently in Glasgow. And I mean, I laugh about it because uh, if ever there was. It was as if the ruling class, the people, you know, the billionaires who flew there in private jets, I mean, hundreds of private jets, um, uh, and then were taken by limousine, not electric car, limousine, uh, to the conference, that they were not even trying very hard to put on a convincing performance. I mean, it is starting to feel uh, like there's a degree of hubris involved here because it is so absurd to watch and, and their pronouncements are so absurd and so nakedly um, reflective of self-interest and, and no concern for whatever they imagine or describe as as a as a climate emergency but we're going to see those things merging we've talked about that before too that <clears throat> you know uh, medical lockdowns will soon become um climate lockdowns of of one sort or another gasoline prices you know are are here they are they are almost prohibitive they're so gas is so expensive uh and and they're they're 40 percent higher than this time last year, uh, food prices are have have increased at least 25 percent. There's a lot of items you can't get. Food shortages. Mail. It takes two months for me to get a package from the United States now. Um, so so uh, this all feels slightly coordinated and and part of a a kind of. Uh, what's the word, you know, uh, a, a coordinated propaganda campaign to, 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 to normalize a whole series of, 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 of different behavior modifications that, that people are going to have to come to accept, I guess. I mean, the funny thing was to see Biden sitting on stage wearing a mask next to Boris Johnson, who had no mask. It's like, um, I, you know, I don't know. It's, I don't know what people think. Um, God only knows what Joe Biden thinks anymore at all. Um, Hiroyuki, yeah. I, I just want, want to ask a question um, uh, to John Bauer about the um, uh, actual uh, effect of um, all those things uh, you're experiencing. Uh, uh, seen from the business owner, seen from somebody who uh, is being imposed on those things, and you have to enforce those things too. And uh, uh, do, do you? What would what would you say uh, the major shifts uh, in the uh, the social relations uh, in, in the community? Well, you know, it's interesting, and uh, this goes back to something Corey said at the end of her um, remarks. Uh, you know, it does feel like class war, right? So, you know, I'd always, I, before COVID, I assumed that that the city and the state appreciated small business tax revenue, right? That it was the, that it was the most of what they use for their budgeting. California made a record amount of, record amount of taxes in uh, revenue in 2020, with you know a 30% drop off in 
the value of small businesses and 1.9 million uh, people unemployed, they still made record tax revenue. They had a surplus because so many, a few people were making so much money that it filled their coffers. And it was a, when those, when those articles started coming out in early 2021, I, I mean, it's, it's a scary notion to think that we fundamentally don't matter, right? The, the success of my business in terms of generating tax revenue and my employees' employment and, you know, and payroll tax revenue for the city and the state don't matter. Um, so the arbitrariness of the decree started to make more sense. Their willingness to shut us down uh, for political optics as opposed to public, you know, the purported public health reasons started to make more sense. Um, it just, it, it feels as very much so that, like I said, we do not matter. Um, and all this being under the guise of public health is so deeply uh, contradictory and ironic, right? Um, because the end result is, of course, you know, my, my, my well-being and livelihood was <laughs> completely put into jeopardy. The health of my staff's been put into jeopardy. The amount of drinking, you know, the amount of weight gain, uh, the, the general level of health and fitness of, you know, my, my friends and associates and the restaurant industry is just completely plummeted. So, um, it's just very, it's, it's interesting. It, it feels very much so that, uh, like I said. Do you uh, see any uh, organized uh, uh, counter acts uh, specifically aimed at the, uh, those things uh, other than, uh, you know, being um, basically destabilized? Unfortunately, no. Um, you know, in private conversation with other operators, we've talked about doing something, but the, 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 the strength of the propaganda is immense, right? Um, and uh, there have been one or two restaurants and bars in LA County and in the area that have decided to just stay to hell with it and keep operating. And they had their lights turned out, they had their gas shut off and they were on the front page of the paper every day. Uh, huh. So the, the, the silencing effect um, is real. And, you know, when you talk in private to other operators, we know it's all bullshit, right? Um, and we know we're being scapegoated, but uh, at the end of the day, we don't, there, we, we're, we're, you know, pretty small fish. Yeah, you know, it's interesting how certain things, I've noticed another thing here at least, but I, but I think it's, it's true from what I read other places as well, that uh, they, they issued an advisory here the other day, uh, the health ministry, that uh, discourage people from going to the hospital unless you were deathly ill. Uh, <clears throat> so it's interesting that hospitals are no longer places where sick people go, right? Um, if you're feeling really bad and you have a, a, you're concerned that your child has a cough that won't go away or a high fever, uh, you're being instructed not to go to the hospital, um, set up a phone conversation, talk to your doctor, they will have a teleconference at, at best. Um, but uh, it's too dangerous to go to the hospital. You know, things like that, which a couple of years ago would have seen, you know, seemed absurd and, and unbelievable and that, that nobody would, would accept, you know, that kind of um, <clears throat> reversal of, of, uh, of behavior and and that 
but that's what's happened and and people here anyway largely kind of accept it um but and there are of course countless other examples um anyway yeah it's it's it the the vaccine thing is is remarkable and uh, that that so many people have gotten ill people have died people have had very serious side effects not just a few people but many 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 people uh and i think it's important that um to remember how much skepticism there is out there that it that it's not that there is a certain we've we've said all of this before you know educated white liberal um 30 percent or so uh <clears throat> who are diehard believers in it and and virtue signal on social media with their masks and whatever and announce they've got their third booster shot or something they're offering booster shots here there seems to be little enthusiasm for that but they are offering them and and encouraging people but but not with a lot of uh conviction i don't think um anyway uh anybody else here varun We've not heard from you. Yeah, just I, I just got one question for uh, John. I was wondering, I mean, these kind of dynamics they usually have a tendency of tearing apart um, long-held relationships and friendships, and I've seen that happen in my life and with other people as well. And I'm wondering how you have addressed it, or how your staff is addressing it, and if you're facing that at all, and what kind of mechanisms that people have kind of come up with to talk to people who are not convinced, or sorry, who are convinced of the narrative, so to speak. So for example, like the skepticism, which is kind of colliding now with people who are completely sold on the narrative. What is the, what is the balancing act right now? How are you restitching it? It's a work in progress. It's a really good question. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's difficult. I mean, it's very difficult. If, uh, I mean, my, I mean, personally speaking, my familial relations are, are strained, right? Because a lot of folks in my family are sort of by the book narrative believers. Um, in terms of customer relations, it's really complicated because we are, um, we have to, we're beholden to the most fearful customer, right? Um, because they have, I mean, they can go online, they can, you know, write reviews, they can, I mean, we, they can complain in person. Um, so the, the most scared person in the room has the say, has the final say in what we do and don't do. And, um, you know, some neighborhoods, there aren't very many scared people. You know, I have a place on the west side of Los Angeles, and it's, just, you would never know that COVID was a thing. Um, but in areas what that tend to be, you know, more liberal leaning, um, it's, weird dance we're doing between you know following these arbitrary we have to sort of follow the arbitrary rules to the t to placate um scared customers the, i mean of course the obvious question is if you're scared why are you going out but the answer to that is they've been told that it's safe if they do all this stupid shit yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. um <clears throat> I think uh, the other topic I, I wanted to touch on in, in relation to, to, to this, because um, I've mentioned this climate summit and, and, and maybe at some point we can talk about that, but um, uh, 
is is the, the the sort of collapsing economies of the West. And uh, I was reading unemployment figures for the U.S., for example. You know, and they're massive, and and homelessness has has gotten even worse, and it was unimaginably bad even three or four years ago. And and to imagine it being worse is 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 difficult because it is reaching, uh, you know, a, a point that is absolutely unprecedented. Not even it's worse than the 1920s. Uh, <clears throat> but but you are also seeing all these strange um, movements by by uh, Wall Street and and uh, you know the financial sector that that kind of, to my mind, defy logic. And I'm always um, loath to, to dig into it because I'm, I'm not an economist and I don't, I don't grasp bourgeois economics particularly well. But it seems that this is, this is certainly a topic and we're going to see, given the unemployment crisis in the EU, uh, which, which I can testify to is, is just staggering, um, at some point, something's going to have to be done, and it seems as though uh, whatever actions are taken are going to be given cover by by either the climate emergency or the latest wave, the winter wave of COVID. I mean, how many how many stories have you read uh, of fear mongering stories about predicting, you know, a massive wave of COVID variants? Uh, you know, a tsunami of variants hitting the world this winter. Uh, it, I mean, it's on nearly every major paper has had one story about this. So there's there's a you know people are being conditioned to expect that that lockdowns are going to to return or or worse, and uh, it feels tied to this ever more precarious. Um, global economy and all the supply chain disruptions, the fact that there's something like six months worth of, of ships circling the waters um, off the coast of California because they can't unload their, um, their products. Uh, everything is way behind. Truckers are way behind, you know, and one, uh, you know, one doesn't know quite entirely what to believe anymore either with these stories. I certainly don't. Um, but I know that uh, there, there feels like a kind of social entropy has taken hold of, of uh, Western society. Mm. Johan? Yeah, I can't add much to what you're saying. And, and I, I totally agree with your last statement that there's some kind of, some kind of chaos that's, that's brewing. I, I just wanted to add that uh, global food prices now seem to have hit the the decade high it's higher than it's been for 10 years and it's it's still climbing and if you add to, to this situation the 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 ensuing i mean we're going to have a a, a flu season that's coming about any time now and, and that will be labeled covid it will be covid maybe and that will probably bring us a fresh round of lockdowns and I mean, this this economy was very rickety from the beginning. So so I'll just leave it at that. This is a huge huge topic that I'm I'm not even capable of, of grasping many parts of. But I'll just leave it at that. 
Well, I <clears throat> I just mentioned that because I happened to watch it before we started the the um, the interview with uh, Rusharan Singh, um, you know, who's 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 a very compelling figure and a very uh, convincing speaker. Uh, and and he's convinced that uh, part of the agenda, because he talks about the burning of food, you know, that there's massive hunger, people um, are, are homeless, people are ill, um, and yet, you know, the government is decreeing that farmers burn food. It happens every year in the U.S. He's speaking of India, and, and maybe Varun, you can talk about this too, but um, uh, that depopulation is part of the agenda. And the only other person I've heard say that out loud was, was William Kunstler, um, because one is loath to say that because it, it sounds you know, it sounds extreme and, and impossible and be crazy. Uh, and yet, if I'm honest, uh, in the back of my head from the beginning of this whole last two years, or at least almost the beginning, in the back of my head since the vaccine rollout and the controversies around that and how odd it seemed that uh, an experimental untested vaccine without any real clinical trial data to go on was being forced on people. And I thought that is, that is remarkable. It's not even a vaccine. It's a, it's a gene therapy. And it clearly they are admitting you can still get COVID. You can still infect other people with COVID. Uh, and, and yet we're insisting you take it. And then Lots of people get sick after taking it. And I thought, well, what, what is the agenda here? What is behind this? Is there another layer of, of malice? And, and uh, I, the thing that kept looming in my mind, given Gates' history, um, given people like, you know, Richard Attenborough and, and the British royal family and this whole history of, of eugenics that these people have embraced and have said out loud that depopulation is crucial, that we must depopulate the world. Um, you know, Gates, Gates has said in, in a number of interviews, you know, yeah, we got to we got to lose 10 percent of the population. Um, I started to think, well, is infertility and and and. Um, for both men and women, and and somehow that this is part of the agenda uh, of the vaccines. And I think, well, but that's impossible. That's impossible. It can't possibly be true. And I can think of a lot of reasons uh, for it not to be true. And yet, that thought is always there in the back of my head. And when I hear people like Singh say it out loud, I think, well, maybe I'm less crazy than I thought or less paranoid than I saw. Um, you know, and as Fritz Lang, I think, said, just because I'm paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get me. Um, okay, anyone? Uh, Wait, you know what? I, yeah. I, I can... Or Hiroyuki. Yeah, yeah. Go. I just wanted to add um, the, the fact uh, that the, uh, uh, I think the Western economic, economic policies has been uh, designed to uh, not to increase the population that much, but by um, imposing austerity measures, you know, like like we, you live in a condition uh, you can't even have health insurance. You know, education is messed up, and you don't ha you don't have money to get kids. 
you you just can't you know right. um, have families you know that's that's depopulation you know that's 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 a policy coming from the oligarchs who are designing the whole thing so I don't think uh, the term depopulation is uh, shouldn't be regarded as um, uh, how it's regarded, like, you know, <laughs> conspiracy theorist. You, you know. mean I'm not crazy? Oh, thank you. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, no, and I think that's an excellent point, actually. I mean, th- this is, you know, this is a massive topic. Um, the, 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 the kind of contraction of, of capital that we are transitioning into some kind of new post-monopoly capitalism uh, in, because it, while there are emerging markets, things like rare earth minerals and deep sea mining and I know, whatever the fuck else, um, it does feel as if there really isn't a market. It's already been monopolized or close to it. Uh, by by one or two or three companies there you know the 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 unprecedented accumulation of wealth in people like musk and bezos and and whoever mark benioff and gates and all the rest of them um and there aren't really that many is just unprecedented you know it's 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 mind-boggling it's difficult to process that people make a billion dollars an hour or something you know it's very it's very hard to understand that um but uh but it's a but it's a it's certainly clear that western societies are not encouraging people to start families and if you look at hollywood and you look at media the message in in entertainment is constantly um anti-family, anti-sex, uh, and, and this, there is a, an emergence of a new kind of, of puritanism of sorts that's linked to, yeah, it's linked to wokeness, but it's linked to transhumanism. It's linked to a whole lot of vaguely uh, partial ideological constructs. Uh, so, you know, yeah, it's, it's very different. You know, I live in Norway, so to have three kids was easy because the government helps you. And uh, it's a very child-friendly society, remarkably so. Uh, I could never have had three young kids in the United States. It would have been utterly, absolutely impossible, you know, at my age especially. Johan. Considering the the summit, the climate summit, uh, I'd like to add also that the well, the most straightforward uh, solution to the problems being being presented there is some kind of, of depopulation, especially since since that would maintain the property structures and and capital, while maintaining also possibly the growth economy in the long run. I was also wondering, Varun, if you have, have any re- reflections relating to the farmers' protest in India in connection to this? Connection to, uh, well. Well, the economy and, and the burning the food oh. situation. Well, it's at, at the end of farming season, especially in Northern India, they usually burn the stock, which is left on the ground to renew mm. the land, essentially. And from what I've heard, and this has been printed about quite extensively, is that over about... 10 or 15 years, because of the influence of Monsanto, the planting cycles have changed. And because of that, the smoke that rises from 
these parts, which is Rajasthan and Punjab and Haryana, that moves into the bowl of Delhi and stays there for about three months, which is basically causing the causing the smog during the winter season in northern India. And that's something that it's we are always trying to reduce um, <laughs> vehicular pollution by policy. So you're outdating cars and trying to move everybody to compressed natural gas instead of petroleum and diesel. And all of that work, internal work, policy work is getting done. But nobody's talking about how Monsanto as a private entity was able to transform the planting cycles for millions of farmers in multiple states. So that's happened for sure. So the infiltration in that sense, we are running on, we are as a subsidiary economy. We are, we are like in India, we are, we are doing what is told to us. There is no critical thinking here. The public generally just accepts what's been given to it by the government. Right? And mm. not many people are actually investigating why these policies are being made and by whose influence, for example. And this ties back, funnily enough, into Bill Gates, because in 2010, there was a study that was funded by the Gates Foundation in India by an organization called PATH, in which many people died. And this was a vaccination trial for the HPV virus. Oh, and yeah. there are two parliamentary reports that I have that I can actually send you, which you can, you're happy to, if you want to put it on the... Uh, yeah, no, I will link those, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, in a sense, <clears throat> as far as I've understood, there has been a very deliberate effort to create an agrarian saving economy to a debt-ridden spending economy. And that, that change has been very visible. It's very, very visible in the last decade and a half. Yeah. <clears throat> um that's really interesting and and uh i i'm just sitting here thinking about the the because one of the problems in in trying to get reliable information about any of the topics we're touching on uh is of course that media is is an organ of the of of the state of the ruling class of, you know, it is owned by three or four people. And then all of these NGOs and BlackRock and these asset managers seem to have a controlling share in just about everything. Uh, so it's hard to know when you look at, if you watch, you know, Hollywood film, Hollywood television, the new season is underway for a lot of shows well underway now. Uh, and, and you notice certain things. They're very clear uh, codes for certain values that are being presented over and over and over and over and over and over. Um, and one of them is, is this kind of odd Puritanism uh, and, and that, uh, that it, there is something both unhealthy and perhaps socially irresponsible about having children. I mean, you see on cop shows and medical shows, constant plots revolving around people being unable to take care of the children they have, that the poor shouldn't have children because they can't take care of them. 
uh, and uh, or the parent is a drug addict, and so the child must be taken away from them. Uh, and in one show, raised by a cop. Well, that's certainly an improvement. Um, but this, when those themes happen five, six, seven times in one season, you notice it across various franchises, and um, <clears throat> and and it can't be an accident. Though, I mean, I worked in Hollywood. I know that that studios and producers will come in and encourage a show to take a certain direction and to and to hit on certain themes repeatedly. It's not a big deal. Nobody is surprised by it. It's not seen as as a as a strange conspiracy or anything. There's just an agenda. It has to do with advertisers. It has to do with all kinds of things, um, studio heads and etc. Um, you have noticed, for example, law enforcement, I would estimate that half the representations of law enforcement now are, are gay. They're a gay couple, um, both male and female. Um, uh, you know, I'm just guessing that in real life, there are not that many cops um, who are in gay marriages. But, you know, I could be wrong. Um, but but it's certainly a theme that is being hammered on. I even saw an article about it, actually, uh, over and over and over again. And um, the other thing, and again, this is something Singh mentioned and I thought was was really pertinent, is one of the messages from both government and uh, and media, whether it's Hollywood or elsewhere, uh, is that people are bad. People are inherently evil and people are the problem in one form or another. And I think that underscores the idea of depopulation. Uh, people are inherently bad and we are a blight somehow or other on the planet, especially poor people. Corey? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna jump around here a bit. First of all, about the food shortages. I mean, if you want to figure out how, how will they get us to eat synthetic food? No one wants to eat synthetic food. I've never met anyone interested in that in my life. Um, but you will eat it if you're starving, right? You will eat it if you're hungry. And so um, just as just like everything else, how do you how do you crush the economy? How do you crush small business and everything right use the virus how do you financialize nature use climate change how do you get people to eat the synthetic food right you starve them you create food shortages so there's um to to bring people into this really depraved anti-life um type of architecture that they're creating you have to have ways like we've seen to coerce people to push them to force them. And I just wanted to um, mention a few th different things here. So about that, um, about the making the body into a wire type thing we're talking about. So if you go to the nature, just a sec, if you go to the nature portfolio, they have a bioengineering community and there's a paper called Internet of Bodies using CRISPR to electronically connect with and control the genome. And just a couple quotes out of that I, I wanted to read. So similar to how DNA-based vaccines are being electroporated into the human body to, to fight COVID-19, we may expect that the electrogenetic promoter circuits will be inserted into human cells to open a new modality of bioelectronic signaling. 
Okay, and then there's um, also in the same paper, Internet of Bodies using CRISPR to electronically connect with and control the genome. Um, just like the Internet of Body, um, Internet of, or sorry, Internet of Things, Internet of Bodies refers to access and control of human body via internet. mRNA, and I already said this, mRNA is a way to make CRISPR gene editing come alive. Oh, no, I didn't say that. So that's a quote of the Time article. And then CRISPR is the workhorse, mRNA encodes it. So I just wanted to add that in. And then if you go back to 2017, you've got Atlantic Council, which is um, basically now almost merged with the Rockefeller um, Foundation for Climate. So they say the internet of bodies will for the first time mean that software will start causing physical harm to human bodies with some regularity. This is a new step for law in particular to deal with. And then I don't really know because I, I don't have the paper open, but anyway, it's about um, law having, having to deal with physical harm from this type of software for the body. And um, then I wanted to jump over to COP26. You had brought up um, Gates and Bezos and the billionaires. And I just wanted to make mention of the Cobalt Metals um, Corporation. And let's see if I have that open. Um, so basically, um, Johan and I were looking at an article. We both read it when it came out from mining.com. And it was about a paper that was produced um, just in time prior to COP26. And Bloomberg referred it as basically the closest thing to a Bible in the energy world. And that, yeah, so that's created by the International Energy Agency. They do one once a year. And so I just wanted to read a bit about the metals that we'll need for, for this um, new global architecture. Um, so the mineral implications of a major increase in clean energy deployment in the net zero economy are huge. Demand for um, battery grade nickel and cobalt and clean energy technologies is set to rise by nearly 40 times between 2020 and 2050. And that's on page 273 of this report. Um, mineral demand for EVs, uh, electric vehicles, and battery storage increases by well over 50 times by 2050. Well, the expansion of electricity networks leads to a doubling of demand for copper for power lines in the period to 2050. Lithium sees the fastest growth among the key minerals with demand up over 100 times its current level through to 2050, while cobalt, nickel, and graphite also see rapid demand growth. Copper demands registers the largest absolute growth by around 14 million tons by 2050, expanding the size of the global copper market by 60% in the period to 2050. Um, then it talks about solar, um, P solar PV. Um, the, the key materials include silicon, 10 to 15% of the module costs, and silver, 5 to 7%. And then it talks about how those prices have more than doubled since last year, while the price of silver has surged by around 30%. Um, for wind turbine materials, it talks about um, basically, you know, it's just, again, the costs are soaring for all this stuff. And of course, China has most of it. Um, let me just scan this. Since June 2020, steel prices have nearly doubled in China and tripled in North America, while copper prices have risen by 50% over the last year. These prices have led to an increase of 8 to 10% increase in the cost of turbine manufacturing. 
So it goes on about that. Um, U.S. dollars, $4 trillion needed annually by 2030 to, re to basically build this um, new global infrastructure um, for net zero's um, economy, which is bullshit because so much of this is carbon capture storage. And actually in this document, I'm re I have it open, I was reading it before um, this started, there's 91 mentions of bioenergy, which is carbon capture storage and um, the bioenergy used for carbon capture storage, which is the burning of trees. And the irony is they just announced again, um, they announced the exact same thing in 2014. Oh, world leaders have announced um, the end of deforestation by 2030. You can go back and see that exact same announcement from 2014, now we're in 2021. But this paper shows you that, um, you know, the, um, I'm just gonna see where it is. Yeah, the bioenergy, it's mentioned 91 times. It's a huge part of the whole thing, right? So again, it's just, it's actually a suicide pact, you know, and um, it, it's just, it's just insane. It's yeah. actually insane. <clears throat> well, I, you know, it reminds me of a couple of things because <clears throat> it's really useful to, to hear some of that. And, and, and given, because I see the implications of the propaganda out there, what people are being conditioned to think and with the erosion of education and so forth, people are staggeringly ignorant and, and nobody reads. And it's, you know, it, it's really appalling in a way. And, and, um, but it's useful to remember when you hear the, the demand for copper or graphite and, and all these that, that the world is more proletarianized than ever before, you know, most of the world lives on like a dollar a day. I mean, massive numbers of people are subjected to just draconian existences of, of, of uh, precarity and, and um, in, in working conditions that, that, that the white privileged West would can't even imagine. So, so there has been an attendant un, not coincidental wave of anti-socialist, anti-Marxist, anti-communist propaganda. And it, it the, there are certain books that are being promoted, you know, like Anthony Sutton's old gibberish about <clears throat> World War II and the Nazis. And you read this conflation of communism and, and um, fascism all the time on social media. I mean, all the time all the time. I saw an article the other day, um, sadly, on global research, and I like Chosodovsky, and I like that site, even though they, you know, they publish a lot of crackpot stuff, and, and you know, um, it's still a useful resource, and, but they had published a thing by, by a Canadian group, the Patriot Society, was that the name of it? Um, that I don't know if they were LaRoucheites or what they were exactly, except they were really fascist um, and they were attacking communism. And I wrote Chosodovsky a letter. In fact, I said, why are, why are you, why are you publishing this stuff? I mean, it's shocking. It's like the John Birch society. Why are you doing that? And I haven't gotten a reply, but, um, but the point is that, that I don't think, you know, that's, that's an accident. This propaganda takes a certain direction because there is a predicted uh, increase in social unrest among this proletarianized um, 
part of the underclass globally. Uh, we are going to see social unrest all kinds of places. Um, uh, at what point it happens in places like Australia or New Zealand or say Canada or parts of the US, I don't know. But I think that that's certainly a worry for the ruling class, for the state. And, and uh, you can almost, you know, you instinctively sense when you start reading something, oh, this, this is a piece of propaganda. This is something that was, um, that was put out specifically to discourage people from actually thinking um, that, 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 you know, whoever marks or something that, that, that class is a genuine topic to discuss that the class struggle might actually be something worth investigating. Um, so, uh, that's mostly what I wanted to say on that, 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 mm -hmm. um, we are, we are seeing this, the, the, the project of the fourth industrial revolution, the, the great reset, all of this stuff has a propaganda wing. And part of that propaganda wing is to, uh, disseminate, uh, confusing, irrational, and, you know, overtly fascist propaganda. Um, Johan, Corey, you both have your hands up, so. Sorry, my thing, I, I have no control over my computer today. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Johan. Ghost in the machine, right? Yeah, uh, I, I agree with what you're saying, John, and, and I, think, I think we can safely say in relation to what, what Corey is saying here, that that we can't we, we this uh, this great uh, green uh, transition is is probably not going to going to happen at least <laughs> at least not in in the way that's advertised and and it is it is a myth it's like the the story of salvation of of our era in a, in a way it is and anyway it's and the, the constraints are not just just the, the re lack of resources lack of metals lack of, of these base Kind of things because it is also you, you also have this huge energy crisis looming in the background i mean we are 15 years past the the peak of conventional oil production and and in relation to unrest i mean 10 years ago when when food prices were peaking well, well that triggered the the entire arab spring and and the entire set of conflicts there in, in the middle east and, and north africa the, the last round at least and High energy prices means high uh, fertilizer prices, which means high food prices. So, so that's a, a horrible cycle, which which will lead to unrest pretty recently, pretty pretty soon, in many ways. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think I think we're seeing the food price. I mean, certainly you're seeing it um, in in Norway, um, uh, and and that will only worsen, I suspect. But but no, there is a there is a there is a clear message to to the stuff that um, that that you see in in mainstream newspapers and so forth. And you know, there is rarely, if ever, a mention of 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 the U.S. military. You know, the the single greatest consumer of of petroleum products in the world, the greatest polluting entity in the world. Um, and I've said, I said this the other day on press TV. I mean, something like half the Superfund sites in the United States are ex-military bases. Um, they are horrible polluters. They have 900 bases around the world. Uh, and, and at this point, I mean, the U.S. is still flying bombing miss missions over Afghanistan. People seem not to realize this. I mean, people, 
poor people are still dying in Afghanistan for absolutely no reason. Um, because they need targets, they need to to fly those sorties, and they need to use up armaments, and so they, you know they, they do it. Um, but the other thing is, the other change that is happening uh, in terms of the military is is how much it's being privatized. The private security companies, what you know, Blackwater, which has been renamed something, uh, rebranded. Uh, and, but there's a, you know, dying core. There's a whole bunch of them. Um, there's several private security firms from Israel. These are, these are massive um, corporations, uh, institutions of, of wealth, these, these private security firms. They are gigantic and they employ a lot of people and, uh, and they wield a lot of influence. And they are determining a lot of policy on the ground in places like Syria. And, and, um, and you see with Yemen, I mean, you know, months and months and months and months ago, Saudi Arabia admitted it had been defeated, essentially, um, and that there was, you know, and other people were commenting, yeah, well, there was never really any reason to, to start bombing the poorest country in the Arab world anyway. But... Uh, but they continue doing it. I mean, as we speak, there is, you know, there are probably U.S. and British uh, planes dropping armaments on Yemen. Um, it, this stuff doesn't stop. It's on automatic pilot. Uh, the U.S. was in Afghanistan for 20 years. They're not leaving. There's there's too many mineral resources. There's that poppy crop that needs to be harvested. Uh, they're not leaving. And and. But this is this is part of a this kind of entropy I speak of because it is on automatic pilot and it is in one sense kind of winding down because it there aren't enough soldiers the volunteer army is too small um, they're stretched thin and that was part of Obama's pivot to drone warfare um, to automate warfare to privatize warfare uh, but all of it pollutes just the same. And of course, the real crisis is is not global warming; it's pollution. And all those sixteen gajillion single-use plastic masks that entered um, the uh, nature this last three years uh, that are that are polluting waterways and and polluting everything and killing animals and birds and so forth and so on. Um, and it's interesting because that is a topic you rarely see. Uh, the the polluting problem of single-use masks. Um, you're much more likely to see articles about the virtue of the responsible thing to do is to wear a mask. Uh, so you know, it's there is a control of of this message, and it's it's hard to know because what we see, the people we see, are a particular, you know, that particular thirty percent are much more visible. Than mm-hmm. copper miners in Sierra Leone, right? I mean, those are not the people you see. So um, it's it's it, it's a. It, we talked last podcast about the war on reason, and it's kind of war on um, a war on humanity, on humanness. Uh, it it is it is a really depraved ideological construct that that is, you know. The, the product of Gates and, and Musk and, and all of these people who are not the best and brightest. You know, they are not 
the smartest guys in the room in spite of what they will tell you. All right. Um, any any other thoughts from people before we wrap up? I, just, I, just I don't even know how long we've been talking. So, um, yeah. I just want to mention about this uh, paper by uh, Michael Hudson about the um, hmm. uh, finance capitalism. Uh, the, the title is The Finance Capitalism Versus uh, Industrial, Industrial Capitalism, uh, the Rentier Resurgence and Takeover. Um, I, yeah, we'll link that. Yeah, the, it's. I think it's a um, really refreshing um, perspective. I, I've um, come across uh, quite a few uh, economists who talk about uh, uh, um, the the recent development of global uh, dynamics is um, stemming from the uh, financialization, the uh, the power of financial capitalists um, uh, transforming. The society uh, to um, make money off of money, and um, as a result, um, we've seen uh, more concentration of power and uh, more draconian um, uh, measures against the populations. And uh, I think this really uh, fits into what we are talking about in terms of uh, the lockdown measures uh, going against um, industrial capitalism, uh, also uh, going against um, uh, uh, China, what China is doing with uh, their economy. And, um, um, and also it explains the fact that the uh, the attack against um, uh, this uh, old uh, mode is uh, um, happening. Be, um, and as a result, uh, we see resistance coming from the people who are uh, relying on the uh, existing forces. So uh, we have um, uh, resistance from fascists as well as people. <laughs> and this well, is you know, I mean, I th you, it was interesting because I, I have to look up what's happening with the New York City firefighters because I know a lot of firehouses were supposed to be closed and I don't know if that happened or not. Um, but, you know, it, it's a fact that most healthcare workers are refusing the vaccine. I mean, um, tens of thousands. Uh, and I don't know how many nurses have been laid off because they won't get vaccinated. Uh, this is in the U.S., I think, and the U.K. as well. Uh, massive protests all across Europe, in Italy, in Austria, um, in parts of England. Uh Portugal, Spain, the people don't want a vaccine passport. People distrust essentially what's going on. And the, uh, the existent conditions, even before the pandemic, were terrible. People were already protesting. And the yellow vests in France were protesting, you know, lack of health care, resource access to health care, rather. Um, this preceded the pandemic. I mean, protests have been going on because the economies of the West are broken and they're not 
they are not providing what people need uh, for their daily lives. Um, existence is increasingly precarious. We, you know, and and uh, education. I mean, I I hammer on this all the time, but I mean, people are far worse educated than they were 50 years ago. And and this is almost provable. You can you can look at the the shrinking vocabulary of most English speakers. Uh, you know the the test results for for Western high school students are just shocking. You know, um, so so the war on reason has taken a certain kind of toll. People, there is still I think a majority of people out there instinctively who understand this as this is a class war against them in one form or another and it's irrational and when john mentioned at the beginning of the show john bauer you know that 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 part of the the intentional uh uh mandates being given him and his business people were totally confused by them and they changed from week to week and there was this this constant uncertainty that was true in norway too i mean literally there was no and i've said this before but i mean there was nowhere to go to get an answer about what was okay and what was not okay literally the government provided no place for you to ask that question am i allowed to drive to sweden am i allowed to go into the big city and do this or that nowhere people didn't know and it creates this generalized anxiety that um that has that is you know being commented on everywhere there is more clinical depression more self-harm more drinking more public intoxication more ods uh and and yet um i also see media publishing stories about wow what a surprise that you know so few people are depressed about this and there's been so little suicide we thought there'd be more and these are lies i mean these are lies these are absolute lies um, but anyway, I, I see, I see the little blue hands everywhere. Let's go to John Bauer and then Corey. Yeah, I just wanted to make a quick, quick point about the, um, mass layoffs due to, uh, vaccine mandates in the United States and various industries, healthcare, the airlines, manufacturing now. And to me, it feels like a coordinated effort to downsize, um, and that it's less, you know, workers protesting as much as uh, intentional uh, mass layoffs being done under the guise of a vaccine mandate and um, that these people aren't going to be hired back. And uh, yeah, it's sort of part sure. of the point. Right. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. Um, Corey? Yeah, just adding here, I think get ready for a really ugly um, winter over here in Canada. The homeless um, population is soaring and um, downtown I, I mean, they, the number, it was the number in the spring, over 10,000 restaurants alone have closed up. If you go downtown Toronto, downtown any city, I mean, it, it, it's just like, you know, ghost town, ghost town. And, um, you know, things just continue close. So now homeless people have nowhere to go in. They don't have passports, right? They're, it's getting cold out. And so now the hospital right near me, um, where I, you know, lots of my neighbors work there. Now it's turned into everyone's going to the hospital because you can stay warm in there and they can't refuse you. So they'll wait in the waiting room for whatever, five, six hours, they go in, you know, oh, I have a sore arm. They go out and they start again, right? right. And so now there's right. two sections at the hospital. 
there's people that come in who are all put down as COVID. So if you come in with um, whatever, a broken arm, um, anything, you're, you're COVID. If you're sick, you're COVID. If you die from hanging yourself, you're COVID. Okay. Everything is being put down as COVID. And then the other half is homeless. And um, even on my street today, a tiny little house that a few years ago, it sold for 219,000. And that was really overpriced. Like everyone was shocked, but it was really cute. Um, it should have only went for under two. That house today sold for almost $600,000. Wow. And yeah. so you've got, you've got the rents going sky high. You've got homeless now being moved to golf courses where they're going to set up camps <laughs> on golf courses. Oh, God. So, you know, again, like conditioning the normalization of like a brutal, brutal, um, you know, world going forward. Yeah, no, it's very dystopian. The whole thing is um, unquestionably so. Yeah, I read that 70% of local uh, restaurants uh, across the United States have closed and will not reopen. 70%. Most of those were family owned, um, you know, small diners and such. 70%. Uh, 30% of museums won't reopen. Uh, it goes on and on and on. I mean, the culturally, uh, Western culture is being is being gutted, uh, absolutely destroyed from within, and uh, and and it's that's already happened. It's already um, it's already a done deal. It's already been accomplished. Uh, Johan, I think John was first. Maybe uh, oh oh, it's okay. One <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I just thought about you the 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 wealth disparity and all of this i think i think you could say the class consciousness is, is nonetheless almost non-existent and, and i've been thinking about the reception of this uh, this let's go brandon meme you know this uh, what i would frame as a, as a kind of anti-authoritarian slogan because it you know it, it attacks not both not only the the government and the administration but it also kind of captures the, the hubris of the media and it's it's bald-faced lying because because of how it, how it is how it was created and, and framed and, and so on and that is something you know both left and right should in principle be able to embrace and, and agree upon but as i see it now from from the left's perspective the slogan is is mostly derided and and rejected as something that conservatives catch. It's the Trump and, factor, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's something proprietary to the Trump crowd, and I'm sure that many on the right just consider reduces it to to some kind of attack on their scripted enemy. And I think this shows just how left and right now are little but identity labels. You know, a kind of brand which we relate to just as any other product with an immense polarization added to it. But I, I find it hopeful to hear about this more radical disaffection that, that John describes seeing in, in his staff, as well as the, the general re rejection of the, the vaccine mandates and so on. I think there is fertile ground for a more meaningful and a more critical you know, rebellion against the actual tyrannies we now face. The question is how to, to create the necessary consciousness the, the necessary relations and so on to to build well I, yeah you, i think that i don't mean to interrupt you i, I um 
No, I think it's crucially important if if we're really thinking about this, because I hate social media. And every single day, I swear I'm not going to go on it again. But then I think, but, you know, if you want to say certain things, you want to correct, you know, misconceptions and propaganda, then you have to go out there and say it. And I think it's really important to say that people need to speak up if they're skeptical and and they have um, uh you know, they recognize the the propaganda for what it is. They recognize what the government is doing. They recognize what's happening with with the Great Reset and all of this bullshit that comes out of these summits. Uh, they have to speak up because because the more they speak up, the more normalized those kind of radical dissenting positions become, and people are less afraid to express it them themselves even. Uh, it may take a while, but if somebody is saying it alongside them, it is easier for them to say it. And I've seen this a lot um, because the normal people, people fear social disapproval so acutely in Western society. They would rather any, really, they would rather have root canal than, than coworkers snarky comments about them. It's, it's extraordinary. Anyway, so I think it's important to, to, I would like to believe that what we're doing here has some value. Um, and, and I think people need to speak out. Um, any last thoughts from anybody? Hiroyuki? Um, I, uh, I, yeah, I totally hear you. And I, uh, I keep wondering uh, what, what we could do and uh we we have some ideas about um about that we we talk about um uh learning about marxism you know learning learning about uh how it works how the mechanism is set up and all that but i i i mean you know frankly speaking that the the um the overview overview is that we are facing this destruction of um, uh, destruction of status quo, basically, uh, and that's why it was being protected by those who embraces the old um, uh, mode of yep. structure, and you know there's no um, momentum to go forward when um, the establishment is leading its uh, path to create this new um, uh, system that's, uh, that's gonna accommodate uh, what they want. And, um, <laughs> and this, this is really a, um, this is a difficult situation and, and it should be, Articulated because um, you know I I I I mean we notice that uh, we look at uh, uh, the uh, the people who are protesting and uh, there's always element of corporate politics. Um, you know they'll be waving flags. Uh, they'll be waving American flags, and uh, it totally makes sense because the regulation of the country is being destroyed, uh, you know, and, and, and people know that and people want to protect what they feel as um, 
their protector, you know, but to, I mean, you know, people, to people like us, uh, that's where the problems are coming from. <laughs> um, you know, you know what I mean? This is I do. And I, you know, it's funny because I just, this is, this is a sign that I'm getting old. I just had a thought in my head and it, it evaporated. Um, but I was, but, but I think, um, I, I think that, uh, you know, the, the, it's important because the one part, one aspect of, uh, the propaganda that, that I was referring to earlier is historical revisionism. Uh, you, 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 uh, it is, and I see this kind of crackpot history, um, being promoted on social media all the time. I see it on television, even I mean, the rare times I, I watch a clip of television, um, which is frankly, actually almost never, but, um, it, it is it is this right wing what 30 years ago was easily recognizable as far right wing uh, revisionism. You know, the, the the you know, the Nazi party was invented by Joseph Stalin or vice versa. Stalin was invented by Adolf Hitler. You know, all of this kind of stuff um, that Mao was really, a you know, a CIA plant and stuff. I mean, all of this kind of right wing stuff is very popular. It's 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 much like Alex Jones kind of stuff, you know, I it's, mean, it's, it's hysterical and, 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 um, and, and baseless, but it, it's very appealing because it's kind of entertaining, I think. Yeah, I'm sorry. What? Well, I mean, that totally makes sense. We, we see all those things because those are the ways to uh, prop up capitalism, to prop up Western hegemony. So it's crucial that people know that uh, socialism, socialism bad, uh, Stalin was bad, Mao was bad, all those things should be, um, 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 you know, repeated over and over so that they have this thing they should be protecting against what? what's going to happen. And both ways, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, it... Um, well, yeah. I hear I hear stuff all the time. I heard a thing today as an example, but but this is a kind of thing one one reads all the time, and that is, um, uh, and this was coming from somebody who's reasonably smart guy. Oh well, but all governments are the same. All governments uh, do the same thing, and it's a top-down power. They oppress the people, and I said, well, but you know, not all governments are the same. Um, you know, uh, Hugo Chavez, for example, had a government of of the people. He he, you know, his his administration was full of poor people. He was correcting and stopping the state violence against the poor. He was providing medical services for the poor. It was not the same as the government he replaced. I mean, Batista was not the same as Castro. Uh, you know, what Gaddafi was doing in Libya was the opposite of what you read about in the New York Times. Um, he was actually, you know, trying um, to, to rebuild uh, Arab society and, and African society. And that's why, you know, he was assassinated. But so, so this idea of, of that everything, it, it, it is this trope that everything is the same. It's all the same. 
it's all the same. It's all the same. You, you know, it's just bad. Government's bad. Blah, blah, blah. It's like the way I thought when I was nine years old, I think. Right. You know? But that that's the uh, um, ideas coming from the oligarchs. For the oligarchs, of course, of course. no governments are good. Of course. You know, that I think that's 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 the point. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, you know, it's lack of education, partly. But that's what I'm saying. I think, you know, um, making sure people understand correcting these misconceptions is important. And um, and making, trying to allow people, giving people permission to voice dissenting opinions that they're not going to be laughed at and they're not going to be made fun of, that you encourage people to ask questions that they're not going to be laughed at. They're not going to be made fun of anyway. Okay. Anyway, very final last thoughts. I have a feeling we've been talking for a long time, but you know, I could be wrong. Um, so uh, one final thing I want to say, thanks to Jack Littman who will, as usual, help with the tech. And uh, I have a, a blog post coming out very soon. Uh, you should all read Corey's wrong kind of green um, and follow her on Twitter. And, and um, that aesthetic resistance has no commercials. Aesthetic resistance has no ads. My blog has no ads. Um, and I get offers every week, actually almost daily these days for some reason. Um, to put ads on it and I can't do it. It would break my heart. Um, I can't, and, and it offends me aesthetically. <laughs> um, I can't do it. So I'm, I'm not virtue signaling. I, I mean, I can't do it, but uh, that's why when I ask for donations, uh, I feel like it's, it's a legitimate request on some level because, um, because, you know, we don't, we, we're not a profit making enterprise here. So, uh, that's all. Uh, thank you to Varun, Hiroyuki, Corey, Johan, and John Bauer, especially. Thank you. And I hope you come back. You can come anytime. Come to be yeah, part thanks. of the it team. Nice yeah. it, was, it was really great. You should, you should be on all of them. Okay, thank guys. You. I will talk to you all soon. Yeah? Yep. Thanks, John. Take Bye. care. Thank you. Thank you.